Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to Christ in the Classroom, a brand new podcast professional development series by Sophia Institute for Teachers. I'm your host, Jose Gonzalez, and I'm very excited to spend this time with you today. Our very first episode today is called Making Jesus the Heart of Our Teaching. We're going to dive into Christocentric catechesis. How do we really make Christ to the heart of everything we teach? How do we make everything that we teach about, about him? How do we help our students encounter him through all of the content and rich beauty of our faith? I want to start off by, by sharing a little story, right? So this question, this question we pose, what does this have to do with Jesus? I think this is a question that we as religious educators uh, need to pose when we're presenting lessons. And it might seem really, really obvious, right, uh, to us. And sometimes it is. Sometimes when we're teaching, say, on the incarnation or we're teaching on uh, the Paschal mystery, it's things like that is very obvious that that those are uh, Christ-centered topics, right? But other things, sometimes it, we might have to stretch a little bit. Sometimes it's hard to, to come up with how is fasting Christocentric? It is. And then there's a very obvious connection, but um, it can be very easy sometimes that we can teach an entire lesson without ever talking about Jesus. Uh, and that uh, is something we have to uh, be, be careful of as, as we prepare. So last, uh, a few weeks ago at Christmas time, uh, I was with my family at Christmas Eve mass and the cantor got up this parish and diocese will remain nameless. Um, but uh, the cantor got up and said, please join us in our closing hymn. We wish you a Merry Christmas and started singing. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas to which I looked down and my oldest daughter, who is uh, eight years old. Uh, her eyes are getting very big and very confused, very, very confused. And then they move into the second verse and they start singing about figgy pudding. And my daughter grabs me and looks and says, daddy, what does this song have to do with Jesus? And I looked at her and I said, honey, pretty not, not a whole lot other than it says Christmas in the, in the lyrics. Right. And uh, it was a, it was a teaching moment in which we talked about, um, you know, there's appropriate songs for mass and then and then there's not appropriate songs for mass. But it was that idea of what, what caught me off guard was her question, what does this have to do with Jesus? Because it's an important question to ask. Because if we can't answer that question, if we can't make that connection, then as educators, as teachers, we should maybe rethink and figure out what it does have to do with Jesus before we teach on it. Uh, joining me today is Sister Johanna Perouche from Franciscan University of Steubenville, and I am so excited to have her with us today. She is a longtime friend, colleague, mentor of mine, and I am very, very excited uh, to have her share and impart her wisdom to you today. We've known each other for, hard to believe, about 20 years now, right, sister? Uh, why don't you go ahead and, and share with the crew that is with us today uh, a little bit about yourself? Sure. Well, it's always a pleasure. And uh, I have to I say this every time we're together. Um, Jose was the only student at the university I've ever yelled at. Um, and nonetheless, it's a long story, actually, but uh, he didn't even remember it until we started to work together. And then uh, it's been a pleasure to be working with him for five years now, six years. I mean, 
seems like forever. Anyway, we've had lots of adventures and it's been wonderful to um, uh, travel across the country. So yeah, I've done catechetics um, since 19, really since 1976. That's a long time. Um, and uh, have done it at every level. So from womb to tomb, actually, I, I ran a Bible study in a senior citizen apartment complex and uh, I've done preschool all the way through. Um, I have a special ministry to the deaf in catechesis that way, but I've been in Catholic schools, I've been in diocesan work and then 21 years at the university. So I love catechetics with every soul of my being, but hopefully I love Jesus more. So that's what we wanna to talk to you tonight about Jesus at the center of our lives. So I'm Canadian, which you probably wonder where the heck I have this funny little accent. Um, my family thinks I sound American, but to Americans I sound, they don't can't figure it out. Um, and I'm a Franciscan sister and martyr St. George. So that's about it. So tonight we're gonna to talk about Jesus as the center of all catechesis. So if we're ready to go, let's go. If there are any other of my former students out there, um, I wanna say hello. And uh, it's been really my great pleasure to be here at Franciscan so long um, and to teach so many of you. Uh, and I'm very proud of the work that all of you are doing. So I just wanna say that. So. Uh, so we have that question that Jesus asked Peter, who do you say that I am? So, you know, Peter, of course, has the right answer. And then Jesus gives him the keys to the kingdom. Uh, so we know that from Matthew's gospel. But who is Jesus really? Who is it? Who is it for us? And, and uh, I remember it was several years ago. Yeah, it was probably 15 years ago. I was asked to look at a a religion series, somebody had some complaints about it, not part of the bishop's formal uh, conformity issue, but just somebody wanted me to look at a textbook series because they had concerns. And the only time Jesus was mentioned in a K through eight series uh, was that every, the opening paragraph, opening page of every chapter had the title of the chapter and it had a frame around it and in the frame was Jesus, 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 Jesus. And that was it. That was the only time he was mentioned in the whole text. So in their minds, I'm sure they thought that they talked about Jesus, but they really hadn't. And he certainly wasn't part of the curriculum at all. Um, and we also make mistakes in subtle ways when we look at most textbook, lots of textbook series in the sixth grade text, our Old Testament. And some of those books, they don't mention Jesus at all. And really, Jesus is the center of the Old Testament. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on. So, and then how can the, the students answer the question? So this was one of the saddest things that happened to me. So I was teaching high school, was my first. I was just transferred there, didn't know anybody. I was in my classroom putting up bulletin boards, so it doesn't surprise anybody. And the head of the department came in and told me that I couldn't evangelize the kids, that that was the job for campus ministry. And by that time, I had learned some social graces and didn't just scream at them at the moment because that's what I felt like. But in my heart and in my mind, first I thought I'll be dipped, he can't tell me that. And then secondly, 
If we don't stand in front of a group of students, I don't care if it's in a school or in a parish setting, and we don't care if these kids go to heaven or not, or if these kids have a personal relationship with Jesus, why are we there? And so that's why we have to have Christ as the center. He has to be present in all our lessons. We have to make him present in the room. He has to be present in the room. And that has to do with our tone, um, with our, our love for the students, even when we're sometimes, you know, I would get upset with my students and I would say, you know that I love you. And they'd say, yeah, but we're going to, we're in trouble, right? Um, so they, they have to know that we have to bring them to Jesus. We have to act like Jesus. So that's really important for all of us and for whoever we teach. Again, if it's womb to tomb catechesis, could be RCIA, any of those, Jesus has to be center. He has to be a real person. So let's just get started then. So my students um, here say that I should write a book called Marvelous Catechetics or Marvelous Catechesis because I do love the Marvel universe. It's just the movies. I don't have time to do anything else. So never read a comic book since probably when I was nine or 10, but that was a long time ago. Uh, but even though I love the whole Marvel universe and I think that there's a lot in it that can be used to teach the faith, um, I love it that all the uh, superheroes in the Marvel universe are all flawed, and um, but it is really Jesus and not Spider-Man or Daredevil or any of them. Even Captain America, who's probably the holiest of all of them, uh, he didn't say he did, you know, technically save the world, but it was Jesus that really saved our world. So we have to really, I don't know who did this cartoon, but I think it's hilarious and it's very fitting. So in Catechese Tridende, which is, was promulgated by John Paul II in 1979, so it's been around for a long time, uh, but it's still so, so important, and it's on, obviously, catechesis. And he says that in the first place, it is intended to stress that at the heart of catechesis, we find, in essence, in the very heart of it, in, in what makes it itself, what makes catechesis itself is a person, the person of Jesus of Nazareth, the only son from the father full of grace and truth who suffered and died for us and who now after rising is living forever. When I started grad school, when I started my master's degree, um, when we arrived, uh, it was 1980, and we arrived and um, at, on the bulletin board was this quote. And I hadn't at that time read Catechese Tridende and um, it changed, it really caused me, I still see myself looking at that bulletin board with this quote there and thinking, that's it, that's everything. And that shapes everything that I have to do uh, in handing on the faith to whoever, okay? Then John Paul goes on to say that accordingly, the definitive aim of catechesis is to put people not only in touch, but in communion and in intimacy with Jesus Christ. So it's not just that we know him uh, or know about him, is that we have to be in communion with him. And obviously that happens through the sacrament of baptism and then the other sacraments that we are in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 
but it also has, that has to be nurtured. The sacramental life has to be nurtured by how we teach the faith. So we have to talk about him. And again, it's that idea of not evangelizing. We have to evangelize. We want our kids to go to heaven, but we want them to have this, this encounter with Jesus Christ. Um, because as John Paul says, only he can lead us to the love of the Father in the Spirit and make us share in the life of the Holy Trinity. So that being said, uh, we have two words. So we have two words that have become very, very popular, and I think deservedly so, but I, I've been in some meetings with people who say, I'm sick of those words. I don't want to talk about them anymore. I think it's just a, a cliche. They don't mean anything. They actually do. They're very powerful, and obviously the big um, Porsche, I guess you can say, or the big influence on those two words has been Pope Francis. But it isn't as if any other Pope hasn't said that. It's not, wasn't Pope Francis' idea. Actually, they're gospel words. And so what he wants us to do is to encounter Jesus, is to have this personal encounter with Jesus Christ, that we have to know him personally. He has to count for us personally. Again, it can't be words on the page. And if you're teaching in a Catholic school, the kids can get A's on their papers. That's great. Um, but we want them really that I want that. Okay, I want my students to get A's, but we also have to lead them into this personal encounter. But then we have this second word, which we can't just say good luck, you know, like St. James says, you can't say good luck, keep warm and well fed, and not care about them. We have to accompany them. Now, sometimes that word is used like we just accompany them. It doesn't matter what they do, we're there with them. Well, no, we can't accompany anybody in a sin. We can't accompany people in a journey to nothingness. We have to accompany them as Jesus did. And of course, the story that we have is the story of Emmaus. Okay, so the companions of of the disciples of Jesus after the resurrection, they're totally dejected. Um, they, they, they put all their hope in Jesus of Nazareth, and then he was crucified, and they think it's over. And of course, Jesus appears to them, and he unpacks for them everything that was prophesied by Jesus in the Old Testament. And he says to them, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And so this is what's so important is this accompaniment is not just walking alongside and nothing to do, but Jesus is with them and he's telling them about himself. And then of course they ask him to stay and then they see him in the breaking of the bread. So led into the Eucharist and that's when they recognize him as in the Eucharist. So the accompaniment is through the scriptures, it's through our sacramental life, it's through teaching, it's being there for each other, but really wanting the people that we're accompanying to go to heaven. That's the goal. It's as easy as that. It's not that easy, actually, but um, that's, that's what we want. So they're not cliche words, or it's kind of cool to use them now. We have to get right to the core of it, and that's what Pope Francis wants us to do. So the new directory for catechesis came out in June. And for those of you that are new to the business of catechesis, we started having directories for catechesis. The first one was uh, called for by the Second Vatican Council and it was promulgated in 1971. 
Uh, and then the kind of the mind of the church and catechesis grew and developed from, from the council. And then in 1997, we received another one. And then this, this past June, we have the new directory for catechesis. So um, it's brand new and I am delighted with it, I have to say. And the really the center of it is Jesus Christ, there's no doubt. Now, obviously in the other directories, um, it is, it's there. Now, the thing that is stressed most in this directory uh, that is different than the 97 directory in particular is this idea of encounter and accompaniment. And so that comes through evangelization. And that's the other idea that's through the whole thing is that all catechesis, no matter what we're doing, preschool, RCIA, having a Bible study for the retired people in your parish, all of that, it's evangelizing. So we're bringing people to in this intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. So this uh, catechesis is a moment of evangelization. All catechesis is called to be evangelizing catechesis. We have to really want to proclaim the gospel. That's another word that's very powerful. I'm not going to read all these texts to you because that's really boring, but I hope it intrigues you enough to get a copy. It's not online and it won't be online uh, for quite some time. So you can get it through USCCB, through their website, through their bookstore. So if you're waiting for it to come online, it's going to be a while. Um, and so I hope that it entices you to read that. But this is an evangelizing catechesis. So catechesis participates according to its own nature in the effort of evangelization. So that means that what we're doing is making the people we're catechizing as disciples of Christ, making disciples, and catechesis is a missionary task. Now, in the 97 directory, there were six tasks for catechesis. So it was teach the creed, sacraments, morality, and prayer. It was the Christian community, and it was mission. And in the new directory, there's only five tasks of catechesis because all of those tasks have to be missionary, that this evangelization has to be there. So it's not just a number six task. It, it's everything. And then it's at Jesus at the center. So if we think about the early evangelists who gave their lives, who spread the gospel, they gave their lives for uh, the church, they gave their lives for Jesus Christ. Um, there's all kinds of theories how the gospels came to be. And it was just, they were just written by the early community. Who would die for fiction? Who would die for fiction? You only die for a person that you love. You're only willing to lay down your life for somebody that you love, as Jesus said. And so we see in the early church and in the 2,000-year history of the church, and the 20th century was the greatest age of martyrs in the church. You know, it was a terrible century overall. Um, so this, um, what are we willing to die for is to bring people into union with Jesus Christ. And so it is also catechesis is related to the liturgy. Liturgy is not something separate. It has to be connected. It's where we receive the sacraments. It's where we worship the Lord. It's that, yeah, I've been at masses where we wish you a Merry Christmas has been the end. And it's like, no, you can't do that. It's just, there's too much going on here on Christmas to sing a stupid song like that. I think 
personally, we shouldn't sing secular Christmas carols within the Catholic context, like liturgy for sure. But in Catholic schools and in religious education, they get enough of that anyway in the culture. And um, I think we should keep it within the religious context because the mystery of the incarnation and Jesus' birth is just uh, amazing, it's amazing. So it's related to the liturgy, but it's also related to charity. So it has to be, it can't just be, oh yeah, I love Jesus and then treat people horribly. It can't be that way. And then this all springs forth from baptism. And I think we don't pay enough attention to baptism. It's another thing that's throughout the whole new directory because most of us don't remember our baptisms. We remember our first communion, remember confirmation. We don't remember baptism. We don't, it's not present to us as much, and, and it must be. We have to think about what happened to us in baptism, what gifts were given to us in baptism, and what responsibilities were given to us in baptism, which is huge. So also what we have in here in the directory is this act of faith, okay, so that we have make an act of faith, which the supreme act of faith, of course, was from our parents in baptism, for those of us who have come into the church later on, we ask, they ask us what we are seeking, and the answer is faith. And that faith is born from love and an ever-increasing knowledge of the Lord. So it's not like one stop and we're good. It's this increasing knowledge of the Lord. If you think of, you know, obviously I've never been married, but um, married couples get to know each other. They go through a courtship at the beginning where they get to know each other and see if they're fitted to each other and suited toward each other. And the more they know about each other, the more hopefully they love each other. Uh, and that's the same as Jesus. So it can't stop. It has to be constant. Um, and so this believers in the Christian life means this introducing them to a living encounter with Christ. So we see that word again. So this encounter with him, a living encounter, he's real, he's present. And even for those of us who have lived alone or, you know, without anybody and have done uh, this is my third Zoom meeting today, so but it's a good way to talk to people if you can't go face to face. Uh, Jesus is still here. Um, it's not just in the Blessed Sacrament, but he's present with us. And for those of you who haven't been able to re receive the sacrament uh, of the Eucharist for a while now, um, I hope that there's a hunger within you to receive Jesus, but he is here. He's always here with us. He's, he's present in scripture, he's present with us, he's present wherever two or three are gathered in his name, but he's here when it's just me, which is a great consolation. Now, one of my favorite things to talk about, and I'll cut this short, is, is uh, I won't go on and on, but I could, is revelation response of faith. So the directory talks about revelation as an initiative of God's love. So God reveals himself to us in love, and then he invites us to respond. It's never, he doesn't just talk to an empty audience and doesn't care. So if we see it right away with Adam and Eve, we see that God created Adam and Eve. He gave them the garden to live in. He gave them everything they ever could have wanted. And the response he wanted from them was obedience, that they would not eat of the tree. And of course, they didn't respond. They responded and created the first sin, uh, we see all of that uh, revelation response of faith throughout the Old Testament. Um, it is the story of the Old Testament. So we see that all the major figures of the Old Testament, especially through those covenants, we see God 
calling them particularly Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and then in asking from them a response. And oftentimes they were sinful and yet they repented. And they, again, it's, an, it's a constant renewing of that yes, so that, that God can take us into himself. Now, fiat is the Latin word that's Mary's fiat. So it's not an Italian sports car, although it is. I don't even know if they still exist. But anyway, fiat is Mary's response. Let it be done unto me according to thy word. And so we see that in the Old Testament so clearly. Uh, again, we don't have a whole lot of time to go there. But look at those major figures in the Old Testament and, and see their response and how difficult it was for them. There's nobody that God asks anything of in the Old Testament that they went, sure, it's a piece of cake. It was all difficult. It, it cost them tremendously, sometimes the cost of their family, sometimes the cost of their life. But of course, we see the greatest response was from the Blessed Mother. So we see the Annunciation just celebrated Christmas. And we see Mary's fiat, let it be done unto me according to thy word. We see her obedience of faith, even though she really, uh, you know, she probably was 14, 15 years old. And uh, the angel is asking her of this and she gives an immediate yes. Now, somebody that we don't see very often, we don't pay that much attention to. And I'm so glad that this is the year of St. Joseph. So Pope Francis has asked us, to celebrate the year of St. Joseph, is Joseph has an annunciation as well. The angel, you know, Joseph wanted to divorce Mary quietly, right? He could have had her stoned uh, for being pregnant and it's the baby's not his. Um, but the angel comes to him in a dream and Joseph also gives that obedience of faith. Uh, Pope John Paul has written an encyclical and uh Apostolic Exhortation, the encyclical on the Blessed Mother, Redemptoris Mater, or Mother of the Redeemer, and Redemptoris Custos, uh, on the Guardian of the Redeemer, on St. Joseph. And, and the big themes in those two documents is this revelation response of faith. Pope Francis has just written uh, a new document for us on St. Joseph as well, so I recommend that. We see the apostles, so we see that today's gospel. So the first day in ordinary time is the calling of the apostles and what they had to leave behind and they left everything for him. And, um, but we have to ask ourselves, how many times does God ask something from us and what was my response? What was my obedience of faith? In small things, okay, that um, they always say that integrity is doing what you're supposed to be doing when nobody's watching. Well, God is always watching. So what is our obedience of faith? What is our response of faith? How many opportunities do we have to love somebody and don't take that responsibility? So that all works in there. And then also our students, leading our students into that desire to make a response of faith or an obedience of faith not just to what the church teaches, that's really, really important and I wouldn't downplay that, but a personal response to Jesus who's calling them by name. So the directory then uh, talks about this obedience of faith and it says when a human being comes within God's reach, I just love that. And that God kind of brings us to himself. If we think about the parable of the prodigal son where the son welcome, the father welcomes this 
sinful son and brings him in and carries him in his arms, uh, that's our obedience of faith. And then it's, it's an ascent of the intellect and the will. So we uh, assent to what the church teaches. Um, I had a student last semester uh, yell at me that um, something I was talking about had changed in the teaching of the church. And he said, we don't have to believe that because we just believe the old stuff. And it, he was so mad at me. And I, at first I had to say, you know, you don't have to raise your voice or yell at me. We can just have a conversation. Uh, but this is that this intellectual ascent and ascent of the will. And remember that love is an act of the will. Okay, so loving that act of the will, really welcoming the, the gospel, and then that we find what we're seeking. So this uh, faith responds to this waiting, um, and, and we, it just unfolds in front of us. We have so many opportunities to learn more about who Jesus is and what he wants us to do uh, in our lives. And then especially as catechists, we have a great, great responsibility in the church um, to bring these people that God has given us into a personal relationship with him. That's the most important thing that we do. So the directory talks about a yes to Jesus, but it, it, there's two dimensions to this yes. So it's a, a total abandonment to God and then it's a loving ascent. So we abandon ourselves to him. There's a wonderful prayer by Blessed Charles de Foucault, uh, an abandonment in God, uh, abandonment to God, uh, or prayer of abandonment. I'm sorry, I pray it all the time, but I don't know what it's called. Um, but it's this abandonment to God that we give everything over to him, which is very hard to do. That's why I keep praying the prayer, okay? So if it was perfect, if I totally abandoned myself to him, um, that I haven't. Okay, so, and then a loving ascent to all he's revealed. So it's not either or. Yeah, I believe everything that the church teaches, but you know, I haven't been to Mass in 40 years, you know, all that. So it has to be both. It's an abandonment to God's will and an ascent to everything that he has revealed to us. And then this has to be a personal relationship with Jesus. Yeah, so we believe Jesus when we accept his word, his testimony, because he is true. You know, today there's a, a phrase that's used a lot, like my truth is. It's not my truth, it's truth. Jesus is the truth. There's only one truth. And so we look at that, uh, that Jesus lets us know what is true. It's not we pick and choose and decide that's my truth, so I can do whatever I want. Um, no. Okay, that's part of our sinful nature's kind of saying, I'm going to do whatever I want. So uh, we believe in Jesus when we personally bring him into our lives, that journey toward him, that accompaniment, clinging to him in love. So it's adherence to a person and to the truth and to the truth and to the person who gives, uh, bears witness to it. That's all from St. John, who's my uh, patron saint and who I love very much. And I'm always so grateful at... Uh, Christmas and Easter that lots of the gospel readings are from the gospel of St. John. So if you haven't really sat down and read it, you go for it. So that is um, kind of a sudden stop there. But um, yeah, it's, it's, we have to pray for, we have to pray to realize that Jesus is present to us. We have to ask him 
that we know that he's present to us because he is. We take it in faith. If we don't feel it, it doesn't mean he's not there because we look at the great saints, the little flower, St. Therese didn't feel it for a long time. Mother Teresa didn't feel it for a long time, but they had faith and they just kept on and kept on and kept on. And so that's my encouragement to all of us, myself included, that we make Jesus our center as Jose has put up on the screen, uh, that we pray to make him our center. We do all that we can. And then also in the lives of those uh, that we catechize. Wonderful sister. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, really kind of flashes me back uh, to my college days, except there's a new directory now. So it's um, a new directory, so, new directory uh, which I have, which I actually just purchased my copy. I was a little, little behind the times on getting it, but I finally got it. And I'm doing, I had one, I, I had one, I, I borrowed from our diocesan office. And I figured it was time I gave that one back and, and got my own. So um, it, it, it really is, there's some beautiful things, but it's also beautiful just to see the continuity yes. that, that, that is present. Um, it's structured in a new way, but the content really yeah. hasn't changed much, which shows the beauty of the church is just, we've, 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 we've reworked the content to fit for the times we're in, but the content itself hasn't changed. Yeah. So uh, I, I love it. And I love, I love digging into these catechetical documents. I really would encourage you. Um, There's so many out there. Um, and if you haven't studied catechesis, I don't necessarily, um, you can overwhelm yourself really fast at, at how many there are out there. But I, I think um, the directory is a great one. Um, catechesis Trudente is actually a great one to start with. Um, to, I, I really recommend you break it open. It's very prayerful. There's some beautiful passages there. So I encourage you to, to dig into those docu those catechetical documents as teachers in catechists, especially um, they're written for us. They're written, they're written for us uh, to help us understand the task of what we're doing. Uh, I, I want to just share with you um, kind of taking a, what sister has shared with us. And I just want to share five really quick practical tips of how do we take all this, uh, this beautiful content, the sister and how do we do it? How do we apply it? How do we as teachers really make our teaching Christocentric, right? And I think it starts one with um, making Christ your center, our center, right? Do is Christ our number one priority? Do we have a a prayer life? Um, I, I chose this the uh, I, I I choose the image of of Mary and Martha to illustrate that, right? We all know the story. Um, Jesus is is at Mar at Mary and Martha's house, and and Mary's sitting at his at his feet, and Martha is just going crazy serving. He says, Lord, make her get up and help me. And he says, you know, Martha, Martha, you're anxious about many things, but Mary has chosen the better part and it will not be taken from her. As educators, as catechists, I would venture to guess most of us are natural Marthas. Do we take the time to be Mary? Because that is how we make Christ the center, is by taking time to pray, pray and be Mary, to sit at his feet it is an essential part of our life. You know, it's very funny to me that I have, um, that so many, um, uh, you know, we've, I've pulled a lot of catechists and, and teachers throughout the country when I, when, when, it, when we, when we used to run in-person workshops and something like basically a hundred percent of teachers would always respond that they felt it was their job to help their students grow closer to Christ but only about 70% would answer that they felt it was their responsibility to have a prayer life. 
And that to me is an alarming um, disparity, right? That we can't help our students focus on Christ if Christ isn't our center. Uh, Paul VI said this is this is a quote sister sister uh, definitely made us memorize and memorize well um, in in a document Evangelion Nunciandi Pope Saint Paul VI said modern man listens more willingly to witnesses than to teachers and if he does listen to teachers it is because they are witnesses right so are we are we his witnesses and the way to do that is he's got to be at our center we have to develop a prayer life tip number two is be intentional. Remember that question I posed at the beginning, what does this have to do with Jesus? Ask yourself that question when you're lesson planning. When you are lesson planning, make sure you're going to talk about Jesus in class that day and be intentional about it and don't expect the textbook to do it for you. Just because the textbook is there and you're going to follow along what it tells you that day, read the chapter ahead of time. Don't assume the textbook is going to be Christocentric. You know, it, it's sad that it's not the case, but you can't assume that textbooks are Christocentric. So be intentional. Don't just, dis- and plan for it. How am I going to incorporate Jesus into this lesson today? How am I going to make the connection back to, to Christ, um, the son of God? Third, and sister really talked about this um, somewhat too, is build relationship with your students, right? Let your, your students need to know that, that you love them right? Uh, that you're there for them. Uh, so uh, when I taught high school, I made it a point that I was going to show up at the extracurricular activities, that I was going to make time, um, especially at the high school level. And I can't tell you the number of discipline problems that were quelched by simply showing up to that JV or C team soccer game from the problem kid in class, because they were shocked that I'm, I took the time to show up, right? So building relationships with your students. Four, expose your students to many forms of prayer. I think it is a, uh, a struggle for us as teachers sometimes, and I would find myself in this rut too, that, all right, everybody stand for prayer, or hey, all right, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen, our Father, Hail Mary, glory be, okay, let's dive into class. I would challenge you to set aside three to five minutes for that opening prayer. And that might be hard to do every single day, but maybe three days a week to take, or two days a week at least, to take that much time for opening prayer and do different things. Maybe it's a scripture meditation. Maybe it's a decade of the rosary. Maybe it's the divine mercy chaplet. Maybe you're praying a novena. Um, Maybe it's just sitting in silence, right? So taking the time, to, to teach them as many forms of prayer and expose them to communication with Jesus. Make him your center, as number one said, and then help them make Jesus their center. But in order to do that, exposing them to more than just that our Father, Hail Mary, glory be that you might. Um, th- those are good prayers. But if that's all we're doing, we're, we're selling our students short to the wealth of the spiritual life. And my last tip is to find the balance of the head and the heart, right? Because as sister, one of the things sister said, we're not just teaching a subject, we're teaching a person. And so our teaching should help transform them. There's a, there's a tendency, I think, sometimes in our catechesis that we can do one of two things. We can focus so much on the content and sharing stories, you know, you know, talking about Jesus and, and what his church 
shows us and teaches us and we're, and we're just in the content, right? And we just, by the end of the year, our, our kids know so much about Jesus, but they don't know him. Or we can go the other right where we ignore the content and we just focus on making them feel good. And really there needs to be this, this place in the middle where our kids are given rich, beautiful content. They know everything Jesus expects of them. They know who he is, but they also are given opportunities to rest in him, to experience the heart of Jesus to see the person of Jesus, to fall in love with Jesus, right? And so there has to be that balance. It's a both and. The content is important, but so is that encounter and accompaniment, right? I really think these five steps or these five practical things I'm sharing with you here, it is the, it's about the encounter and the accompaniment. I love that sister picked those words. So uh, before uh, we can't, we, we wrap as we wrap things up. I want to. Um, I, I have some questions for Sister that I um, I, I wanted to share. Uh, continue to share her wisdom, and these are just kind of fun things that I'm that I'm hoping to do with most of our guests on this series. So, Sister, my first question for you to share is: um, top three books, in your opinion, that all teachers or catechists um, should read, um, and they can be anything at all. What are your What are your What are your favorite? I'm sure you might have more than three, but for right now today, what are your first, what are your top three? I have, I have hundreds. So I have a really hard time on honing this down. And I just want to say right away, you have to read the catechism. You have to read the Bible every day, Bible for sure every day. So I'm just saying that I think everybody should read the Lord of the Rings. I think that it is the perfect Catholic novel. Um, the movies are great, but the books are better um, the, all the sacraments are there. Priest, prophet, and king is there. So anybody that knows me knows I can get the Lord of the Rings into anything I'm talking about. So I think that we should all there. If, if that's too much for you, read Narnia. So from C.S. Lewis, although it's very Christian, C.S. Lewis wasn't Catholic. Um, and Tolkien certainly was. So, you know, anyway, so that, uh, I think that you should read um, Silence by Cardinal Sara because it's, it's a little bit more serious. It's, it's a little bit heavier. It's a great book for meditation, but we live in a world totally inundated by noise. Uh, and he's done a beautiful job in helping leading us to silence and craving silence. And then I, I, this sounds like a shameless plug, but it's not. Uh, it's my book, uh, but it's called Mentors for the New Evangelization. Now, the only reason I say that, I don't make any money from it. It costs $10. It's only available from our website. And I don't know, I've never done this before. But in that book is the um, lives, a brief, it's written for catechists. It's a brief biography of all of the catechetical saints of North America. So Canada, United States, and Mexico, including Father McGivney, who I put in there. Uh, even, and I knew he would be, you know, the founder of the Knights of Columbus. I knew he'd be eventually be beatified. So I put him in there. So the American saints, we don't know enough about the American saints. I teach a course on the saints and put it in there. So I just put that out there. So those are three, but you know, I have a room full right. of books and you know, anyway. Okay. So I, I have to admit, I have not read your book yet, but I, 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 <laughs> 
I need to get it. I need to get it. I've always, I've, I'm, I've always thought to myself, I gotta, I, I have to get Sister's book. But Lord of the Rings and Narnia are my favorite. We just finished Narnia with my kids, and, yeah. um, and Lord of the Rings. We'll go to the Hobbit next, but then hopefully Lord of yeah, the Rings. Do the Hobbit first, yeah. Yeah. So next question: um, three movies, or I'll, or or you can even do TV shows. Three movies or TV shows that you that you find helpful in pulling clips from or that you you think that you think teachers teachers all cat uh catechists and teachers should teach with or from well there's lord of the rings okay so (laughs) the movies are really well done the hobbit movies not so much okay so the hobbit is a simple story written for children and peter jackson made a mistake on that one i think i'm sure though people disagree with me but the movies are amazing. And there's a lot of books written out there. Uh, Sanctifying Myth is one of them that that unpacks the Lord of the Rings for us. So and that those clips you can use all the time. I use all kinds of movies uh, when I teach, uh, but to try to um, narrow this down. So I love the whole obviously the Marvel Universe. And it's because all of them are flawed all of them have some kind of conversion experience. What we're, what's big in the directory, it's always been big in catechesis, is teaching for conversion, teaching for change. And we see, especially if you look just at the uh, Avenger, the Avengers themselves, um, how wounded they all are, how striving to be good they all are. T- Tony Stark is my favorite Iron Man because he's so flawed. And yet he does have this tremendous change. He also suffers from PTS and, you know, those things. So using them, but realizing very carefully that the um, Avengers are not, you know, God. So that's why I use that that slide in the beginning. Um, So Lord of the Rings, the Marvel Universe, those are my favorites. I use them quite a bit in all times. But another movie that I think uh, is seen not, not this is The Greatest Showman. So it came out last year, year before. So, um, and it's about, um, what's his name? Barnum, yeah, P.T. Barnum. It's totally false, okay? P.T. Barnum was a terrible man. Uh, But in the movie, the movie's all about being who you are and being respected for who you are, but it's also about conversion. So P.T. Barnum himself, all the wealth, you know, in the beginning, he's a bit of a shyster and then he, you know, the love of his wife, the love of the people that he's brought together. Um, It's a tremendous story of conversion. And so that's uh, what I don't watch a whole lot of television. And so I don't, I can't tell you right off any TV shows that I use. You know, a a lot of people use This Is Us, right? And uh, I had a doctor's appointment the other day and my doctor is a really profound evangelical Christian. And he says, they're just manipulating everybody's emotions. And I kind of think that's true, even though I haven't said it. So that aside, so that being said, okay. So there's it. And again, I could go on and on and on, but I'm not. Wonderful. And last question, three pieces of music or songs, really more secular ones that you could pull truth from that you, that you found really helpful to, to play, to play in class or. I love classical music, okay, and, and um, you know, somebody would say, oh, of course you do, but I like a lot of other music as well. Um, the classical music can bring us to the Lord, they soar, and also, so Beethoven's my favorite, Mozart's number two, and Bach is number three, 
But also soundtracks from movies are also, they're symphony pieces, they're modern. So they can also, um, Star Wars, again, Lord of the Rings, uh, lots of those movies have tremendously powerful uh, soundtracks. So that also can be used. And some of that music does soar, so we can use it for ascension, resurrection. Some are very sad, um, you know, so we can use that. So classical music never runs out. My new favorite guy, and this has been two years, I expected him to go away, is Marty Robbins, okay? So he was a country music guy. Um, in 50s, 60s, 70s, he died young in, in 1982, uh, was a tremendously Christian man, had a big conversion in his own life. And um, some of his songs are really powerful if you like country music, which you know, not, not that not many of us use it or, you know, I'm not, I'm not died in the wool fan, but I think enough people appreciate it. So here's a beautiful song called My Woman, My Woman, My Wife, which is beautiful on the suffering of his wife and, and, and of her being this strong and beautiful woman. It's, it's a wonderful one. And then he and also wrote, um, Lord, this time you gave me a mountain, which is his own, his you know, country music, it's four chords and the truth, right? But uh, he sings about um, all the challenges in his life. And then he says, this time you've given me a mountain. I don't think I can do this again. So those songs are really, really beautiful um, from him. Not all of them. Some are just, you know, regular country music. But he has some beautiful pieces in there. And then uh, lastly is from The Greatest Showman, which is not This Is Me, okay? That's not my favorite. It's From Now On. That's his conversion song, From Now On. That's I've my favorite. That is my all-time favorite song from that. Yes, mine that too. Well. I love it. I love it's, it. It's incredible. And it is about conversion. And so he meets the people that he's uh, neglected, that he's abandoned, and then including his own family. And then he has the conversion experience. And then from now on, he's not going to do this anymore. And the energy in that song and the energy of the people dancing with him, it's a brilliant movie for all of that. And then he runs to greet his fan to the arms of his family. That's a powerful one. And it's not the one that everybody picks from The Greatest Showman. Nope. So that's it. I could go for days and days, but yeah, I won't. Yeah. No, I love it. That's my favorite from Greatest Showman too. And I love the, I love the, the line, you know, we will come back home. We will come yeah. back home again. Right. That's, that's where, that's where God calls us. And hopefully that's where, that's where we all, that's where we all go. So, um, well, thank you so much, sister, uh, for pleasure. joining us. Um, thank you to everybody else who's joining, who's listening. And, uh, we, we will, we will be back, uh, next week. Uh, this is a, a new and exciting endeavor. We're, we're, we're glad you're here for Christ in the Classroom. And um, we hope to continue the, these conversations um, and, and provide you with some good, um, some, some good speakers and some good um, insights for your classroom and for your, for your personal faith journey. Uh, God bless you all. Have a wonderful evening and hope to see and, uh, many of you back uh, next week. God bless. Thank you for participating in this week's episode of Christ in the Classroom. In order to request a professional development certificate, please visit sophiainstituteforteachers.org slash CITC certificates. In order to access the free lesson with today's theme, as well as show notes, please visit sophiainstituteforteachers.org slash CITC lessons. Thank you and God bless you.